1: Welcome to the Missouri Woods and Water Podcast with your hosts, Nate and Micah. Nate and Micah are here. Andy is not. He's a bitch. No, I'm just just kidding. He's still farming. It's that time Um, of year. We are
0: 13 seconds (laughs) into the show. Well, I'm just being honest here. (laughs) Uh, He's He's busy. He's a busy man. You guys have not seen each other in person for a while now. I feel like you guys might get to a fist fight. Why would we get in a fist fight? He ain't gonna listen because you've any been calling him a bitch for like four weeks straight now.
1: <laughs> well, I know he's not gonna listen to it, so uh, it, well, it don't matter. Point. Yeah, he doesn't listen to his own yeah, show. that's he list- true. He listens to the radio. That's what he
0: does.
1: <laughs> when I'm in that tractor, I just like to put on that radio, ninety four point one. You know, yeehaw. I don't know what he listens to, but I'm just assuming. Yeah, he's he's gonna punch you. <laughs> I can take him. <laughs> oh gosh i can man. totally take him uh, me and him have fought before you and have I not won. fought we wrestled we, you wrestled and i won and i had a big dip in my mouth <laughs> wow what would have happened if i would have messed up
0: that word <laughs> <laughs> would have been even funnier <laughs> i'm just trying to try to reel this damn show back in 27 seconds into it oh yeah you know, well
1: let's talk about uh who we had on today i, I want to
0: talk about hunting for a minute
1: okay so we've had our cameras out for a while. You're not getting anything on camera, so you're gonna going dip on. your toe into the old
0: public land pool. I have not hunted public land in probably since that last time me and you went, right? Probably. Yeah. Well, I mean in Colorado we hunt it every year. Well sure but, but for a that, deer. For whitetail. Um I'm I'm getting real antsy and we got this cold front coming. And I'm tired of not hunting. So I'm gonna go hunting tomorrow. Right. I have not ever been onto this piece of public in my life, so I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna hunt from the ground. I'm not gonna add the added uh, pressure, I guess you'd call it. Of yeah, that was one thing I didn't hanging.
1: Ask that guy if there was like trees. I'm pretty oh, sure. I'm not worried about. it. I'm gonna hunt from the ground. Well,
0: I'm pretty sure he.
1: Every time he's been out there, because I got you a little bit of insight, little intel. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't. But a guy that used to hunt this public, he gave us some. Gave you a pointer or two,
0: so you're gonna put try it out at least, and then see how it goes. Yeah, actually, it's weird because I had a conversation the other night with Parker McDonald of the Southern Ground. Okay, and I'm oddly excited about it because well, it's he, exciting because you have no idea what's gonna happen. Right, you have no, I don't know no what, clue what, what, deer what deer are deer. there, nothing. Yeah, and it's just, you know it's a decent sized piece, and it's kind of like I'm kind of almost excited to learn it yeah you know and if uh I don't know I've I've got a sense of uh invigoration that I didn't have before now because and this this by the way this is the negative side to having trail cams when you have trail cams they can also kind of upset you sure you know like I don't have any deer here so I, I go hunt it right whereas if you didn't have that trail cam out you'd be hunting and you'd because be excited about You'd it. be excited about the, the unknown, what's coming. Right. And Parker was talking about that with me on the phone, how he does he hasn't used cameras in a long time because it's well, he hunts public mm-hmm. and it's that the sense of the excitement that unknown you don't know what deer might pop out from behind that tree. One twenty five walks out tomorrow. Are you popping it? Yes. Okay. I've never killed a buck on public ground. So That'd be pretty cool. I'm I will kill the a legal shooter. There yep. you go. And I think I'd be excited about it. Well, yeah. And that's where I'm excited that Missouri has a two buck rule. (laughs) Because (laughs) if I do kill a smaller buck, quote unquote, score wise, right. I still got another chance. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I have to wait till uh, November rifle season. But, you know, I, I would definitely do that probably. Nice. Uh, But yeah, I'm going to hunt from the ground. I don't want to add my run and gun setup is not what I would consider ideal. Mm hmm. I do have a run-and-gun setup. I've got a run-and-gun stand with a, a tree tree stand transport system, and I've got sticks, and I've got that set up, but it's heavier than shit, dude. Really? And if I kind of jump off into this uh, public ground thing at some point, I could definitely see where the saddle thing would be very, very intriguing. Oh, I'm super intrigued. Because but... they weigh nothing. Right. And like Parker was talking to me, uh, Is he a saddle hunter. Yeah, okay. he was talking to me. He's got these sticks from tethered, the one sticks. Each one weighs less than a pound. Really? So let's say you just have four sticks, you're not even carrying any weight there either, yeah. barely. So like seven, eight pounds max, sort of thing. Well, they weigh a pound a piece, and if you well, got no, four I'm sticks, saying everything. yeah, like oh yeah, no, and you don't have a stand on your, you know, you're not. There's just a lot of things that. If I do go down that road, I could see where saddles make a lot of sense. Um, I still love tree stands, but in a completely running gun setup, I'm either going to have to do an, a different stand, the, the thing I'm using is just heavy, um, and I don't want to pack it in. Right. Does that make sense? No, I don't blame you. You know, like if you kill an animal and you pack it out, I feel like I'm packing something in. Yeah. It there's, It's heavy. They're big cumbersome. Now the last time I packed it into where I privately hunt, I didn't give a crap that what was inside my pack, so I probably had a bunch of stuff I didn't need in my pack and yeah, it added a bunch weight. Of junk. But dude, it like it was heavy. <laughs> so I'm doing that tomorrow. Now by the time this comes out, we'll see if it was worth a shit. But if nothing else, I'm just excited to get out and hunt, man. Right. This is your first time. I mean I've only been twice yeah. so far this season. And I've had a bad like I did not have I don't mean this from a fun... I did not have a whole lot of fun in Colorado from a hunting camp standpoint.
1: No, I I get it. I I mean,
0: you you saw the least amount of animals out of all of us. Yep. And I got, you know, in my own mind, I just, like, I defeated myself before going in some mornings and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I don't have anything here at home as far as shooters go. And so I'm just kind of excited just to go. Even if I just sit there quietly for five hours and don't see shit, there you go, man. So I hope doing you. that tomorrow.
1: Well, hopefully you see something.
0: Wish you could go with me,
1: but yeah, we're busy. Can't do. I it. I'm going I'm gonna Hopefully, I'm hopefully gonna go hunting. But by the time where you're wanting to go, it just wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't make it in time. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. make it in time. So
0: um, yeah. So today's show, we're we're talking about hunting. We're talking about hunting food pots. Yeah, with Lindsey Thomas Jr. of the National Deer Association. Which I mean, he gave me a lot to
1: think about because I have food
0: plots, and I hunt
1: over them. So things are going to change. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not damn it, but no. uh, it's it makes you your wheels turn a little bit more. That's why we uh, did the show, man. Exactly. So, uh, but yeah, Lindsey Thomas Jr. on uh, with the uh
0: was it? National Deer. We we I want to be very clear. We make a joke about me and Lindsey being related. As far as he and I know, we are not. But I think that came out <laughs> it was a you know joke. I'd, I'd be honored to, to be related to him he's a
1: cool guy yeah no super cool guy and then he knows his deer i mean if you listen to the previous episode i couldn't tell you what number it was but he was the one that we had on that was talking about antler growth and that sort of thing yeah he was really mineral and all that so uh he's
0: well-knowledged in the uh deer stuff know, deer stuff yeah so okay before we get into the show let's uh, run through our sponsors right quick We'll start with Camo Fire and Black Ovis. Yep, sister companies.
1: Uh, We're big fans of both. Use that Camo Fire app. Uh, They always got new deals.
0: So if you're, you know,
1: who knows what you need? Just get on there and they might have it right there. Download the app
0: or go to camofire.com, blackovis.com. Use that code MWW10 throughout the when you go to checkout and you can save 10% on whatever you buy. Yeah, which they got everything you need there. I've been using Onyx
1: a lot the last two days. Oh, I've been using the crap. I use the crap out of Onyx. Every single day. Every day. I
0: li- I literally use it every day. Well, so- I've been on it because I've been looking at a bunch of public ground. Right. And, and so, kind of, um, which is funny because we talked about having numbers saved. I've been looking at a bunch of public ground the last few days and trying to decide where I might go. I'm even kind of like, I might do another one some of it, like just start learning about them. Uh, And I also called our local CO, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: asked him, because the only thing that's weird about MDC's website, as far as, let's do some MDC news now. It's not as user-friendly as I think it could be. Yeah, like, when I went into uh, some of these different areas, it doesn't necessarily tell you if firearms are allowed during firearm season, which I wasn't, I don't care about. I wouldn't go hunting there during rifle season, is not what I'm saying. But can I go are other people going to be there rifle hunting? So yeah. if I want st- to, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's not real clear on that. Yeah, it's not. He did tell me though, to to download the 2022 deer regs pamphlet, okay, which I have downloaded on my phone and it get, goes into specifics on each place. Oh, okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to read through that. That's a while away. I know that, but my OCD doesn't allow me not to know things. So, you know, I want to know November, whatever it is, 11th. I don't even know. 13th i think it's the 14th but i could be off. don't quote me on that whenever that hits you know if i'm still in a situation on my private ground that i don't have anything can i still continue to bow hunt there or is it going to turn into do you need to go somewhere else yeah so someone where, where you know yeah. is an archery only that oh, way right. you don't have to worry about
1: that's my point anybody else uh, but that was a long ramp hold to tell you to use the code. I've been, M- using, w- the, yeah. I've been using the shit out of Onyx. You should yeah. go to onyxmaps.com. MWW20. You yeah. got to go to the website. You can't do it off the app. Yep. So, uh, Lucky Buck Mineral. It's that time of year, you know, you're winding down putting your mineral out there. But, uh, you know, if you're using the process that they suggest, you know, you need Still to. Still
0: putting a little out there.
1: A little bit. Just, yep. just a little bit. A little bit just, here, a little bit just, there. Just, just a tip. Yeah,
0: yeah, just enough. LuckyBuckMineral.com, River's Edge Tree Stands. I'm going to be using those uh, this weekend. Super comfortable, I'd, I'd love to get in the one I have nice and hung. I'd love to get
1: in it. I messed up, and the one that I have over my food plot has the perfect lean to where I'm just slightly back. So I could just easily close my eyes and just fall asleep if i wanted to super comfortable super comfy yeah super comfortable which one is that the one i helped you hang yeah no uh, this was the big time the oh uh, the the hang on yeah the hang on the but me and my daughter we used the one that me that you helped me put up the other day and we were
0: you know it was great you know had plenty of room up there me and her can i go down a rabbit hole real quick oh use the code missouri 10 for 10 percent off plus free shipping on any hang on or ladder yep I had a pucker factor moment the other day. Oh, yeah, you were texting us about that. Uh, thank God it was a ladder stand. But uh, went out to trim shooting lanes, got up in a two-man a two that's been there for several years. And I was, you know, directing my brother-in-law on what, what to cut. And I'll be the first to admit, I was not tied off. I was just up there real quick to tell him what to cut, and I was going to get mm-hmm. back down. I noticed the stand was a little loose. So I went to tighten the strap, and that first click, that strap snapped. Yeah. So I thank God it was a ladder stand, right? Right. And I just grabbed the tree and said, hey, come here. And I made sure he held it, and then I got down. So that's got to be replaced. (laughs) Yeah, probably a good idea. But uh, kind of a nice reminder, make sure you use a harness at all times because I was just popping up there real fast. Just to look at something and get back down, and that's that's all it took. You know, make sure you guys are checking your straps, you know,
1: every year. Or, you know, if you're taking them down. Anytime I take a stand down and I use it the next year, I always just buy a new strap. They're cheap, man. It's cheap to buy a strap. You just go, like, buy ratchets from Walmart? I usually just get a ratchet strap. Yeah, which is what I'm
0: going to use on that instead of the I I know they have
1: specific, you know, tree stand straps or whatever. I like to... You can get a right strip with, like, you know,
0: 800 pound test or whatever you want yeah. to call it for, you know, five bucks. Yep. So right. went down that rabbit hole. Sorry. Yeah. But River's Edge. <laughs> River's Edge Tree Stands, check them out. Yeah. Cut it back. use the code MOWW22 for 10% off. And Midwest Gunworks. Yep.
1: Midwest Gunworks. They're actually. Can we talk about that?
0: What? What? Well, if we're going to talk about it, we need to thank Midwest Gunworks. We need to thank River's Edge Tree Stands, Lucky Buck, and. Should we bring that up anyways? Because this is going to come out before. Actually, so yes, we should. we should.
1: So maybe we should bring up the PAMP. Can you bring up the flyer on uh, it real quick? I yeah yeah get in get into uh, but it a little bit. every this is the second annual I believe it's a youth uh, youth hunt and it's uh, youth deer hunt yeah youth deer hunt I don't want to call it a competition or whatever. But, uh, I mean, it is, but it isn't. That's yeah. not what it's. Everybody's going to win something. Everybody's going to go away with something. But if you, I believe it's Lafayette County and Johnson County.
0: Uh, it's a good question. What I would suggest people do is hop on Facebook and, and search annual youth deer contest. In fact, actually, if I can share it to our page, I will. Yeah. We'll but figure. the name of the group is annual youth deer contest, deer hunt contest, that's deer hunt, hunt right. contest, excuse me. Yeah. Um, it is the weekend of youth season. Youth season. And it's really cool. It's all weekend long. You bring your deer in to get weighed. That's how they. Yeah, it's not about the biggest buck. It's just they're going off it's, of It's just it's weight, weight, weight only. And But the cool part is there is a banquet at the end of it where they give away prizes. And there's also drawings. Last year, every kid went away with a prize. Mm-hmm. This year, we're sponsoring it again. And, and with the help of our sponsors, have, yep, we have partnered up with our sponsors. Um, so far, Lucky Buck, Rivers Edge Tree Stands, Midwest Gunworks, um, Zamberlam Boots, Alps, Alps Outdoors, uh, and I think that's it for now. Uh, might have some more, yeah. But and, a lot of good stuff coming. They're gonna, yeah, and we're gonna get some stuff for these kids. So
1: if you yep. got kids and you never did say. On, well, like I said, what did I, never do, what did I never do? If it, what county they had to be in? Oh, well, I'd have to read. Don't just go down. Donors. Yeah, this? I don't
0: see where the info is. I'm pretty well, sure it was just head. like
1: Lafayette and Johnson County.
0: It was last year, right? Because I mean, it obviously can't get too yeah, big. It's a local event to us. Yeah,
1: local event. But uh, if you, you know, if you're interested and you're in the area uh yep lafayette or johnson county missouri yeah so if you guys are in there it's a lot of fun it's a great time it's a good environment kids have a, a blast they get to you know meet other you know like-minded kids that and hopefully you know you get some success and come out and have a good time have some good food and uh you know win something you're gonna yeah. go home with something so uh but and just to be honest we some of the stuff that we're bringing to the table and a lot of the other companies people that have pitched in there's some there's a lot of good stuff a lot of some big prizes a lot of big ticket items honestly yep. so uh but uh, so if y'all can support that that'd be
0: great uh, how it, and as part of that midwest gunworks has got a badass prize coming we're not gonna yeah we're not gonna is, s- say what but midwest gunworks is really coming through with us our contact there cameron is the man Mm-hmm So make sure you check them out, MidwestGunWorks.com. Use the code MWW5 for 5% off. I realize our sponsors took a long time, but we went down (laughs) some rabbit holes. Yeah, sorry about that. We kind of went out of sponsorship mode (laughs) and then back into it and back out and back in. Yeah. But that's our sponsors in a roundabout way. Yeah. So let's, you know. Let's just dive right into it. Let's get into the show. Let's just get into the plot. This is the Missouri
1: Woods and Water Podcast.
0: Okay, with us tonight we've got Lindsay Thomas Jr. with the National Deer Association Lindsay, thanks for coming back on with us
2: Nate thank you for having me i'm I'm glad to be back
0: My uncle Lindsay <laughs> yes yeah, Uncle Lindsay <laughs> We can't prove it, but it's pretty cool. <laughs> There's almost zero chance that we're related. we have what is Thomas like the third most common name in the this states or something like that i have no idea i know there's a lot of you i think smith and johnson are more common but i'm not sure about any jones is probably more common that's about the only three i can think of so uh we're not really there's a
2: bunch of them and i know uh you know if you're from southeast georgia and your name thomas i know we're kin but um you know hey we're cousins i'll accept it
0: see i did say i grew up in south or and i grew up my family is originally from georgia so there is that chance it's possible it's not the thomas side of my family but does that mean we get hunting rights (laughs) if we come down to georgia is that is that how that works i think i just walk into the state and say hey i'm a thomas i got the same last name as lindsey i'm hunting where i want
2: (laughs) (laughs) yep you got to walk into georgia and you got to say go dogs and Mm. we'll let you hunt
0: i don't know if i can do that i don't know if i can do that but i will say this and our buddy Tim Worley, who is from Georgia, he lives now in Missouri, he'll listen to this, I'm sure. Um, I don't hate the University of Georgia. There are some other schools in the SEC that I can't stand. Georgia's not one of them. So, I'll give, I'll give you all that. Your good football program, and they don't bother me.
2: Y'all got a good program, too. I mean, like I said, y'all, y'all scared us pretty bad last Saturday. So, yeah. uh, you, that was a great game. Georgia was lucky to get out of there with a win honestly
0: better than the spread was given us that's for sure i i would take that over what the spread was i think the spread was like 28 and a half points or maybe even 38 yeah. it was it was going to be bad but anyway well let's talk about deer so we've got Lindsay on um lindsey was on our show a while ago but prior uh, before we get into the today's topic Lindsay, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell every, the listener what you what you do for nda
2: yeah, I'm the chief communications officer for the National Deer Association, and uh, so my team handles all communications, as you'd guess, and that includes our magazine, Quality Whitetails, uh, the DeerAssociation.com website, all of our social media, uh, email marketing, and you know, news, email newsletter, video, uh, so pretty much all outgoing communications from the Deer Association come from my team. That's what we do.
0: Awesome. How's it been since the uh, the merger? What's that been? A little over a year now. Been longer than that, hasn't? Hasn't it? Two two years. Two years. Yeah. Everything That's going right. pretty well now.
2: It is you know in twenty twenty the Quality Deer Management Association and the National Deer Alliance got together and joined forces. And basically, just took all the things that both groups did strongly and uh, and did well and put them together under one one roof. And uh, things are looking up. They are really good. So. That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of exciting I, things going on and, and, uh, doing, doing a lot of good things for deer.
0: The way I explained it was when daddy deer association and mama Alliance fall in love. They had a baby, <laughs> <laughs> and that was national deer association. Okay. Uh, you know, when the kids ask you what, what happened, that's what you, had, <laughs> I don't think I they it. will. <laughs> um, so what we're talking about today is if the listener had not seen it, um, Lindsey published an article, um, and I might be calling that the wrong thing. Um, What was that, last week sometime? September 21st is when I'm seeing. Yep. And I read it, and it really made me think, and this is perfect for this time of year. The the name of the article that you published was How to Hunt Food Plots, colon, maybe don't. And I read it, and it had a lot of good information on it. So we're kind of, that's what we're going to base our show off today is just, that um that article and what went into it some of the research you talk about and you know kind of trying to get the the hunter that is listening to us to maybe think about how they're approaching stuff right now this time of year the rut hasn't kicked in here in Missouri um you know we're kind of in that early stages of October where there's that October lull everybody talks about and a lot of people are hunting food plots and uh maybe it is a good thing at certain times but maybe it's not helpful so that's what we're going to talk about today is that cool article that you wrote so why don't uh why don't we just kind of start off and you know get into the article and you know kind of what you were uh thinking about doing with it when you when you wrote it
2: Uh, okay yeah thank you Nate. and i appreciate you I'm glad that you found the article interesting enough, you know, to want to chat about it. Um, And it was a moment for me uh, where what happened was some research out of Auburn university by Dylan Stewart and uh, Dr. Will Goldsby uh, at Auburn. They've been publishing a good bit of deer research for a number of years out of a study site they've got in South Carolina called Brosnan forest. And uh, it's a place that's actively hunted. And so they're, They've got a unique setup there where they can track bucks with GPS collars, wild bucks, in a sex setting where the hunting activity is known. They know where people go and they know how long they sit there, what stands get hunted, et cetera. So they were really able over long term to study hunting pressure. And a lot of interesting things have come out of that. But uh, you know, last year, Will and Dylan wrote a story for us for our website, kind of getting into some of the the issues and and findings they had on hunting pressure. But then about a month ago, uh, Dylan finally, quote, published his study, which in scientific terms means he finally got it published in a scientific journal. And that is kind of like finally turning in your term paper to the teacher and getting a grade on it. Um, You know, he, he finally got it published, which means it passed peer review means other scientists looked at it and decided it was acceptable and you know his methods and findings were sound. And so I sat down when I saw that and read the scientific paper and a lot of little details came out of that paper that I had really not thought about before or not noticed from some of their previous uh, information they'd shared from the study. And that, you know, it, it opened my eyes to some things and that was where that article came from was i kind of just sat down and said here's you know dylan and will have published this additional information there's some cool data in here and here's here's my takeaways from that um and in the big picture you know like you said the title was how to hunt food plots maybe don't certainly the article doesn't say don't hunt food plots no it doesn't article makes the yeah the article makes the point that we probably all hunt food plots too much and hunt them in the wrong ways at the wrong times and and that's what this data kind of showed. And it also revealed some tips that I took away that, you know, I'll put to use and and will help me in how I hunt food plots that I wanted to share. Say, look, it's not that we don't shouldn't hunt food plots, but we should do it in certain ways that that will enhance our success.
0: Yeah. And that's what I took away from it. The, the title was awesome, by the way, because it immediately made you go, what? And then you start reading, right? That That's that's why I enjoyed it. But uh, um, why don't we just kind of get into the beginning of it and you kind of got to start going through it. And then each kind of section, we'll, we'll maybe have questions and, and talk about what your thoughts are on it afterwards. And we'll just kind of work through the article and kind of talk about um, the different findings and things you kind of talk about in there. Okay. So uh, let's see here. Well, the first uh, paragraph was hilarious to me um you know so people I'm not gonna read it verbatim uh, I will link this article in the show release and because I do think it'd be a cool article for people to listen to or listen to read but basically you know just like everybody else you you work hard you are busting your butt on this food plot the fall finally hits and you got this beautiful you know green plot with Things like cereal grains, brassicas, clover, other things that um, you listed in the article, and now it's uh, time to inaugurate this deer hotspot, right? Like the, everybody thinks that, but staying the hell away from it might be the best thing, right? Um, so, and you actually say that, stay the hell away from it, and um, you're breaking, you're breaking my heart, you're breaking my heart, yeah, yeah, because Michael worked hard on a food plot, I did, this I worked really good. hard on a food plot this year. So the first thing you kind of talk about is we hunt food plots too hard. So let's get into that and what you kind of meant in that um, in that spot, and then we'll kind of move on.
2: Yeah. So I think in my experience, it doesn't take any any science or a scientist to, to convince us of this. Just think about in your own experiences, um, you know, seeing other people hunting land, uh, even getting on Onyx and just looking at, at deer land from an area standpoint what do you see out there you see a lot of food plots we all enjoy growing them we get excited you know to see a crop be successful and to see deer eating it and so we there's just this appeal this strong pull to want to be there looking at it uh, and see the deer come out and use it um, and you can uh, you know myself having seen other people's hunting properties what do you always see on most food plots there's a stand right there usually in most cases often right on the edge you know a ladder stand in the the legs of the ladder will be in the food plot. Um, The tower stand, you know, the shadow will be leaning over in the food plot. Mm -hmm. Um, And I even had a picture in the article, an aerial, you know, snapshot that I took from on X showing the typical thing you can see Uh, here's a, here's a clearing in the woods. And well, look at there, there's a square shape of some type right by the edge. What is that? Well, it's the roof of a tower stand. Yep. Um, And so, you know, in most cases, um, it'd be hard to imagine somebody planting a food plot and not hunting it and not putting a stand site right there. And that's just, it just tends to be the way we do it. In many cases, we set up stands in, in a way that you can't even get into the stand without walking in the food plot itself. So, you know, if you're coming in there in the morning, and there's deer in the food plot, you got to blow them out to get in the stand. Um, when you leave at dark, if there are deer in the food plot, what do you got to do? You got to blow them out of there to leave. Um, so we hunt them wrong. We hunt them too often. Um, and that's kind of the, the case that I made is that, you know, because we, you know, are proud of these creations and get excited about the fact that the deer are using them and providing nutrition, we kind of want to be there and witness it. Even if we're not going to, uh, you know, shoot the deer we're watching in it at, on that day, you know, being there is, is, is just fun and they're convenient they're comfortable. The stands that we build there, you know, rather than uh, beating through the briars or going down in some swamp or climbing some Ridge and climbing up a climbing, you know, climber in a tree or whatever, you know, these are convenient. You, you know, people that will jump on a four wheeler and ride it right up to the stand, you know? And so that's, that's why I think we tend to overuse them. You know, I think in the back of most people's minds, they know that uh, their pressure has an effect, but it's just, it's just easier to say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to that food plot again today. Well, it's um, it, it's, so the, it's the yeah, easy out. I think it's be made that we overhunt them.
1: Yeah, it's the the easy out, I guess you could say. I mean, you put all this work in there and you want, you want it to be the destination plot or whatever you want to call it. You want them to come out there and use it because, A, it's hard to get on a deer's, you know, what path he's going to take every night. You know, so if you can go to where he's going to end up, where you think he's going to end up, it's just easier instead of getting out there and, you know, exploring all your other options.
2: Yeah, we have a, hunters have a strong, and I include myself in that, that we have a strong tendency to believe that we've got to put something out there to attract the deer. We've got to plant a food plot. We've got to put out bait. we got to do whatever to enhance our chances of seeing more deer. And um, you know the fact is like this study showed and like a lot of other science has showed, uh, that's really not the case many times. We still see deer in food plots. We still see them over bait sites where baiting is legal and kill deer those ways. But what the science shows us is we did it in the way that was probably the least likely way to be successful that day, whether you're hunting a doe or a mature buck or whatever it is. Um, uh, you know, there were probably better ways and more likely spots in those, at those times to see deer somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, what's funny is you hear of people and now we're not in a state where baiting is legal, so I don't know what it's like to bait a deer, but you've, I've talked to people in states where you can bait deer and they talk about, you would think baiting is this awesome thing. And I mean, I, I guess it's, you know. Six and one half does the other because they do come eat the bait, but most mature bucks do it in the middle of the night because, or when, or when they do come in, they are very, very leery about how they're coming into it because it's almost like they know they're being baited, um, or they've been hunted so hard over that bait, kind of just like a food plot, honestly, that they change their patterns, they change what they're doing when they go, they go eat it. Doesn't mean they won't eat out of it. Doesn't mean they won't go to the food plot, but because of the pressure they're receiving from the hunter, it changes the way they use that bait and or food plot in this case. Um, And it makes a lot of sense. And that's where you kind of get into the next part of your um, article is deer, deer movements and food plots. And can we just kind of talk about what you got into on this? Like some of those percentages were really interesting to me. And then you actually have some graphs in there. But uh, let's let's just kind of get into deer movement and food plots, as we just kind of talked about it.
2: So yeah, and this section kind of sets up the study. And just real quick, you know, this study was done on a sixty-five hundred acre block of Brosnan Forest in in uh, South Carolina, highly he- uh, quality managed deer habitat, quality managed herd. It's actively hunted, um, and you know, in this study, they had a whole lot of bucks over a number of years wearing radio or gps tracking callers out there but what's interesting about this work that they've done there that auburn has done is they have mapped you know the entire place in terms of percentages of habitat or cover types and they've mapped the stand sites so you know there's something like 100 food plots um on this property with a stand um they've gone into each stand and mapped them out and determined when you're sitting in that stand what is the area where a deer can be seen from that stand and they mapped that out on a map and then studied you know when deer entered that zone whether there was a hunter there or not but you know how often did a deer put itself at risk and go into that zone where they could be seen from one of these stands they really evaluated what were hunters looking at and uh, how did the deer use all these various cover types so um, in, in this new paper, you know, what I pulled out that jumped out at me uh, immediately was that out of the entire property, food plots made up 6% of the landscape. So pretty small, small that's number. actually pretty good. I mean, if you're doing 6% of your hunting property in food plots, that's, that's pretty strong. Um, well, 6%, of 6,500
0: acres is still a lot of land, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's a lot of land. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But but the thing about it was that the the um, food plots were 23 percent of the total area in which deer could be viewed from stands. So think about that. Ninety four percent of the property is not food plots, um, but you know 75 percent of what. But but that represented 75 percent of what hunters were looking at from stands. Basically, what that says is um, stands were biased towards food plots. Hunters were biased towards food plots. That's where the hunters wanted to be. Cause they could see. Um, and so there was more. a, cause, right. yeah, cause they could see. And because again, we had that, you got that sense that because there's something planted there, that deer like to eat, that's where the deer are going to be. Um, that's just the instinct that we have that sort of pull. Um, so, uh, So yeah hunters at this place are dialed in on food plots and hunting that more than any other cover type which leads you to to understand that you know a lot of other cover types on this property are being under hunted they're not being hunted and the graphs that dylan shared in his uh, newly published study i had never seen before um and this was you know what showed uh, the probability of does and bucks, you know, in in the chart, it breaks it out by does and bucks, Mm -hmm. the probability of those deer selecting from four different cover types across any 24 hour period. Um, And, you know, to sum up, what you see is that food plots, you know, deer strongly select away from food plots during most daylight hours. Meanwhile, the other cover types,
0: almost never, (laughs) like they're almost never in it during daylight hours based on the graphs I was looking at. Uh, Yeah.
2: I mean, compared to the other cover types where, you know, clearly they select more for those cover types um, during day than they do food plots. So now there were some variations to that. It's not a hard and fast rule. It's not like you're saying that deer are never in food plots when the sun's up. That's not the case. It's just it's just very obvious that, given the choice uh, during daylight hours, bucks and Doe's were choosing other cover types more often than food plots. in other words, um, during certain times of day, you, you were a lot better off hunting some of these other cover types than being sitting over a food plot
0: and it's really interesting to see on the food plot side how much uh, how much less a buck utilizes a food plot during the day compared to a doe who also then utilizes it less than other parts of the, the day compared to like dawn and dusk. Um, you know, a buck is even more unlikely to be in a food plot in the, in the daytime compared to a doe. Uh, yeah. Cause bucks are in blue. Does were in red. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, that was kind of interesting to me is if you look at the other graphs, um, And, you know, read the article, folks. It's a really cool article, and you'll see what we're meaning. But in in hardwood, the two lines really kind of mirror each other the whole way with bucks preferring hardwoods more than does. And then with food plots, they they both do kind of the same thing, but the bucks drop way underneath does when it comes to selecting food plots during daylight hours. That was interesting to me when I was
2: looking at those. And, and me too. And i I'd never had this pointed out in this way before the way Dylan did in his paper, but, you know, they explained or they tried, they said, look, you know, what you just saw, bucks were even less likely to select food plots during the day than does what, you know, what's the difference there? Does still favor other cover types over food plots too, but during the day, but bucks, you know, uh, were less likely. So what's going on there? And, uh, you know, as they pointed out, and it made sense, um, does have the greater nutritional need during that time of year. We know that during the rut, uh, bucks tend to eat less because they're focused on one thing. Um, and some of them, you know, don't eat much at all. They may lose as much as 25% of their body mass, uh, in just a couple of months. Um, so you know that's what that makes sense uh and bucks tend to have a bigger body mass, and as they explained it, you know uh in terms of literally in terms of surface area, a doe has a smaller digestive tract, mm-hmm. so they've got to take in more food to be able to to acquire uh the nutrition they need compared to a buck. so all these things kind of combine to explain why you're more likely to see a doe in a food plot during the day than a buck,
0: yeah. And then they break it down even more further in the article, Doe's versus Bucks and then Dawn versus Dusk, which the Dawn versus Dusk thing is that what really uh, got me, I guess, the biggest on this article. Uh, just the, the what they found, Dawn versus Dusk, and then obviously Doe's versus Bucks. We kind of already talked about that, but uh, why don't we get into those two things as you keep going into that uh, Dawn versus Dusk and the uh, the Doe's and Bucks as it relates to that too, if that made any sense.
2: Yeah. So what I took away from that, you know, looking at this graph, which your listeners will see if they go and and, uh, follow the link and read the article, um, in terms of how deer selected whether or not they're going to use a food plot. You know, they tended to select more for it during uh, nighttime. And then in the morning, as soon as, you know, dawn began to break, which the researchers considered the period, you know, quote, dawn to be 30 minutes before sunrise to two hours after sunrise. So essentially, from our point of view, you know, that's shooting light, right? Um, It's, it's not sunrise, it is 30 minutes before sunrise. So basically, if you're sitting there, could you be, you know, seeing and shooting a deer in that plot? That's, that's what they define dawn as. And deer, uh, clearly before dawn, began moving away from food plots, choosing not to use food plots and moving toward some of the areas with more cover like the hardwoods, like planted pines um, and away from food plots. So basically by the time you could, you had shooting light, uh, the effect of bucks and does choosing to be far from there was in play already. But in the afternoon, it was different. Um, again, what they called you know, dusk was two hours before sunset to 30 minutes after so again pretty much the prime time hours we'd be sitting in a deer stand until shooting lights gone um and that tendency began to uh decrease earlier in the afternoon so that during dusk deer were again selecting toward food plots uh, almost as much as they were you know during the early nighttime hours uh, bucks in particular mm-hmm. so what you you know as i interpreted it and, and explained in the article what i thought was going on there was so you got deer you know moving toward food plots at night to feed the pressure's off you know they've kind of learned that uh this is the time to be there when hunters won't be there uh they can feed throughout the night but then as the danger hours approach they're full they can head into cover in the hardwoods and the planted pines to uh, spend the daylight hours in a safe place. Uh, but then toward, you know, later on in the afternoon, they haven't been up around feeding much. Um, and they're getting hungry. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's a, there's a, uh compulsion to, to get up and go eat soon. And so they, they will take more risk. And they will begin to appear in those food plots or at least be more likely to appear in those food plots in the afternoon, far more than they were likely to appear in them in the morning. So kind of like by the time sunrise, by the time shooting light arrives in the morning, they're gone. They're off in the bedding area. But in the afternoons, uh, they return in time for you to see them.
0: Yeah. And you actually I'm going to read this excerpt from the article because you hit it on the head when you said this you 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 wrote it's as if deer having fed in food plots throughout the night don't need to run risks at dawn but having hidden and moved at relative, relatively lower rates in thick cover all day hunger drives them into open food plots before the cover of dark has returned which is what you just explained but that was a perfect you know couple sentences that really kind of painted it, a picture for me on what you were kind of meaning and it makes yeah. sense i mean they got to eat, but they don't want to put themselves at risk at all times. So they're more likely to put themselves at risk on the dusk side than they are on the dawn side um, if you were putting percentages and likelihoods on it. I mean, right. they'll do it. It's not like they're never going <laughs> to, you know, when we're, when Lindsay's talking about this and, and we're you know, talking with him, it's not like.
1: It's not a hard, it's hard not, fast rule. But yeah.
0: They'll still have those times, but we're just talking about likelihoods and that's what this article kind of is making you think about is what, you know, what you might think about when you're thinking about where to go. Uh, That's what I took away. And then of course the next section is the takeaways. Um, And you kind of get into some, some good ideas, which I actually um, really liked how you kind of gave, what was it? One, two, three, four, five different uh, suggestions or takeaways. And, uh, and then you actually have a, uh, well, we'll get into that at the end, but so let's get into the takeaways.
2: Okay. Um, and thing, to, one thing to keep in mind that I pointed out in here is, um, I felt like hunting pressure on this property is fairly light compared to what I, you know, know of most the typical hunting property. When you look at how often these food plots are getting hunted, um, what how did they put it it's like uh i think it was one in 10 they estimated stands that only one
0: was occupied yep. on any day
2: yeah right so uh, how many properties do you know that have 10 stands out there and only one of them's getting hunted just you know, nathan on the weekend there's not 10 though <laughs> <laughs> you got close to 10 uh, i think i have seven now <laughs>
1: seven on 10
0: acres in in all so fairness fair, two this of is them not... four of them are in two different trees <laughs>
2: okay (laughs) yeah so they've got you know what 100 stands that were in this study site they're not all occupied every day you know they're rotating people around they're trying to be somewhat stealthy with their food plot hunting pressure and yet it still you know had the effect of of uh forcing deer to choose other areas first so that was really the first takeaway I had was when you look again at those charts you saw deer um tending or, or definitely being more likely to choose a cover type that they called natural pine, uh, during the day, than food plots. Um, they didn't select it as much as hardwoods and planted pines because those tend to be, you know, thick bedding cover, which is kind of where they were hanging out during the day. But in terms of this cover type called natural pine, um, certainly deer were selecting that more than food plots. And what natural pine is, is on this property, it's where they've gone in and heavily thinned the pine timber, Uh, older longleaf pines and they're using fire underneath that to keep the understory in an early successional stage so it's very good cover and very good forage for deer it's essentially a natural food plot um and deer were much more likely to select bucks and does to select those areas than food plots during the day so i'm sitting here going you know those areas are getting lightly hunted because most people want to go sit in a tower stand over a food plot yeah. Um, that was my first takeaway was, um, hunt more of those types of cover. Now, you know, throughout the country, uh, everybody doesn't have this type of thinned pine, and certainly not longleaf pine like they have, we have here in the Southeast, but you've got ty- the same type of timber that has been managed through forest and improvement to be more open, to have more sunlight hitting the dirt where you've got more understory and more forage and it's essentially kind of a natural food plot area. Um, It doesn't look like a food plot. It looks like woods with good cover in the understory. Those should be, you know, areas you should look at uh, for potential places to hunt, just like you would sit over a food plot. Because as this showed, um, compared to food plots during the day, deer were selecting those areas more. Um, So that was the first takeaway, was not just to look at, you know, uh, a planted field as the only quote food plot that's out there, timber stands that you've managed through forest stand improvement to create more forage can be the same type of area and have the same type of attraction to deer.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that I agreed. And luckily for me, this is just me. I don't actually have any food plots I'm hunting. So I guess there's that. I guess I do have a plot that one plot. <laughs> this is not really a plot. Well, you but, haven't planted anything in it in years. Yeah. But, uh, I've always been a guy that prefers to be in the woods anyway. And so, you know, hunting field edges or plots is not like my excitement. So I tend to be a guy that goes into those areas or what you're, whatever you're talking about in that situation, the natural pines anyway. But, um, just like you said, during the day, they tend to select those areas because the cover they give. Um, and uh, honestly it's another type of a plot they can eat in there too. So, Um, you know, they don't have to just be in there for cover. They can kind of be in there for multiple uh, reasons. The next takeaway you had was hunting food plots in the evening compared to hunting them in the dawn or the mornings.
2: Yeah. If you were going to have a, let's say if you, you know, took away from this, I really need a better food plot hunting strategy to minimize my pressure and, and make the time I spend at food plots more effective. This would be one good way to do that. And that is to, if you're going to hunt them you know, restrict yourself to hunting them on in the afternoon hunts. Because again, from the data that Dylan and will showed, um, it seemed that deer evacuated the food plots before daylight arrived before shooting light in the morning. But again, we're willing, more willing to take the risk to return to them as darkness was beginning to approach while you still had shooting light. So if you were going to try to minimize your pressure around food plots, one way to do that is don't hunt them in the mornings. Cut that out and and avoid, you know, putting your presence unnecessarily in your scent in these areas at a time when it may be uh, less likely to see deer there. And, you know, uh, restrict yourself to hunting those in the evening. Yeah. Um, You know, again, just one way that you might do this.
0: Yeah, I like that. That, And that's the the takeaway I took from this uh, article the most is hunting them in the evenings compared to the mornings. I've never and,
1: and and I think most hunters would probably agree with that. I mean, I know when I go hunting and I do set over a food plot, I I know I know personally that you know, I have more activity in the evening over those than I would do, you know, somewhere else. Um and that's so, not
0: it's uh, not like it's a hard and fast rule either. Right, right, it's not
1: hard and fast. I mean, I have a trail camera set over right over my food plot and it's a it's a very small plot maybe an eighth of an acre and uh i mean the majority of my picks pictures are in the evenings every once in a while i'll have a you know a handful of does come there they'll stay around for five minutes and then they wander off now that's that's
0: not to say like you listen to this show and read this article and you're like okay i'm not gonna hunt right but you got the buck of your dreams showing up at eight o'clock every morning Right, I'm gonna go, plot, yeah, I'm going to go after him. Maybe, but, maybe don't listen to what we're saying right now because right. this is not hard and fast rules, but these are good generalities to think about yeah. when you're making plans. Well, I mean,
1: it's got me thinking because, I mean, I pl- we got a nice cold front coming in tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so I was hoping to hunt tomorrow evening and Saturday, whether it be the morning or the evening. So tomorrow evening, I'll probably hunt over my food plot. Got a cold front coming in. They're still hitting it pretty regularly in the evenings. And then, uh, if I go Saturday in the morning, I'll try to get into some hardwoods. We have mostly hardwoods around us,
0: so try to get in that timber a little bit more. And as point number three or takeaway number three, Lindsay has is hunt food plots for doe harvest. Yeah. And you're after a doe right now. Yeah. You would like to kill a doe, um, unless that's changed. So, hunting in the evening, and if you're after a doe, you have a decent likelihood that you might see them based on some of these studies. So there's takeaway number three, using food plots for doe harvest.
2: Yeah. As as you see in those charts, um, it was bucks that were less likely to select food plots during the day than does were. Um, So it seems to be that food plots are a better place in the fall, uh, particularly during a rut to see does than to see bucks. Like you said, these are not absolutes. Um, These charts are probabilities. They're not uh, showing actual deer movements and presences in food plots. Uh, it's just the probability of them selecting food plots over other areas. So it would be great not if they were. If you,
0: if, yeah. It'd be great if they yeah. were absolutes because then it'd make hunting a lot easier. <laughs> but they're not. Oh yeah,
2: I mean, and that's what we're all looking for is the the one trick, the one rule or whatever that'll the shortcut. But uh, nothing is sure. Just like you said, you know, I've had some great hunts in food plots in the morning. Um, so, uh, there's no guarantees here. We're just talking about probabilities. And so right. it's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, you know, betting on sports or something. And, um, look, you can look at all statistics and know, you know, kind of what the most likely solid bet is, but you're, there's still no guarantees. So, um, so yeah, you know, as an, as another strategy to manage it, minimize your pressure on plots. You know, only go there when you're trying to get your doe harvest done. And when you're hunting a particular buck, go somewhere else. And in fact, uh, Dylan and Will wrote about this last year in a preliminary look at some of this data, and they really dialed in on bucks. If you were going to try to, uh, based on what they found, get in a place where you're most likely to see an adult buck during daylight, it was these transition zones in between the heavier bedding cover in hardwood drainages and planted pines and the food plots um that they were seeing these bucks move through some of these gaps some of these uh thinned pine areas the natural pine areas that we're talking about that were open where you could catch them and see them and hunt them in between the thicker cover and these food plots so those are the areas to think about the types of areas to think about having your stand where, you know, Hey, this is where I'm trying to kill a buck. But uh, when it comes time to get a dough for the freezer or to try to meet your dough harvest goals, you, you sort of save your food plots for that. Again, just another way to sort of minimize pressure on food plots, because that's really the whole idea here is that the less you sit on food plots, the more effective they're going to be when you do hunt them.
1: Yeah, makes on on the uh, study. Does <laughs> it tell you how big these plots are, or do they give you any type of you know reference if they're an acre or ten acres? I'm sure you they mean, range. like on, on average. The, yeah, like the, like the size average of size of them or anything.
2: I don't remember seeing that number, um, but I think you know just having seen some of the aerials and things, you're, you're looking at well, you know an acre to it to two acres maybe on average. You okay. said
0: there was so I'm just going to do a quick math. There were 6,500 acres and there were six, 6% of that was food plots so that's 3900 acres and there were 100 food plots is that uh-huh. right lindsay no, i think that's did. about
2: right yeah if i remember right
0: divided by 100 on average that's like 3.9 acres which seems a little large but based on 6% and i may of,
2: not have my yeah. numbers right on sure uh, yeah
0: total number of food plots but okay yeah and i i might have just like thought of that number cuz
2: right. i i'd be
1: curious to know if if deer are more likely to come into a smaller plot rather than a larger plot, just just because, you know, the cover's closer, you know, rather than the bigger ones where they're more out in the open. Hmm.
2: And I'm trying to think of any studies I've seen on that. I'm not recalling any right off, but I think we all kind of have observed that, that if you have plots that are smaller and closer to thicker cover or plots that are narrow with cover adjacent plots that have good buffers around them. Like say you've planted some grain sorghum or Egyptian wheat or something like that as a buffer along the edge and left that standing. Anything you can do like that to kind of screen a plot and make a deer feel more comfortable, feel closer to heavy cover, uh, feel less out in the open, you know, anecdotally. Um, I've observed that and I think a lot of other people have too, that you, you generally, the more you can make a deer feel comfortable in a food plot, the more likely you're going to see them out there during the day.
0: Yeah. And we, we kind of skipped into takeaway number four, which was hunt food plots rarely overall, which we kind of talked about, uh, a couple seconds ago. And then takeaway number five was save food plots for the post-rut.
2: Yeah. And again, looking at their charts that they provided in their study. Um, and looking at the data they saw from the post-rut. Um, and this has been seen in other studies too, in studies of uh, hunted bait sites as well. The same thing that, that adult bucks were uh, just, you know, it was just, food plots and bait sites were just not the best places to see adult bucks in the daytime, but it got a little bit better in the post-rut and it makes sense because as we know, physiologically, after the rut's over, um, bucks are hungry they've been exerting themselves for a long time winter's coming and the testosterone has dropped there's no longer that urge to continue breathing um and now they're hungry and they've got some body mass to make up they're more likely to be eating so in the post-rut um a food plot can be a better place to encounter an adult buck during the daytime
1: yeah and that makes yeah, sense too yeah that definitely does make sense right there
2: yeah
0: yeah and then uh i got some takeaways here, but I want to get into um, the last part of this article, which is uh, you had uh, a, what do I call it? A experience with these tips. And it brings to mind um, a, a beautiful buck, by the way, that you killed uh, in Georgia back in 2018, where you kind of noticed some of these things. So why don't you get into that story a little bit and what happened there? And, kind of see where some of that stuff kind of actually played into you killing him.
2: Yeah. So after reading this study, this paper um, and kind of taking notes and highlighting some stuff and rendering down into these takeaways that I wrote about, and I looked down the list of takeaways and kind of went, huh, that sure does bring to mind this buck I killed in 2018. Um, And the situation was, it was, it was December. This was post rut for us. Um, and, uh, I, I needed some venison. Um, I needed to get a doe for the freezer. We were, uh, at a property that my dad actually manages for a friend of his who does not hunt. So we kind of manage the habitat and the wildlife for them. And they, they let us hunt there. Um, and I was going straight to tower stands on food plots thinking, yeah, let me just go sit out here and, and get a doe. when she comes out. And for a day and a half two you know, a morning, an afternoon and another morning, I sat without seeing a doe uh, on these food plots with tower stands, which had been hunted throughout the entire season. They've sure. been getting pressure again, because there's a convenience stand, um, comfortable, comfortable, nice green food plots. Um, so they have been hunted all season and I did, could not kill a doe to save my life. So that second afternoon I remember going over the aerial real carefully. <laughs> and on this property, we've got we've got several food plots that have stands over them, but we also have a small handful of smaller food plots that don't have any permanent stands on them. We plant them anyway uh, for just nutritional purposes, uh, but they don't get hunted much, if at all, because there's no established stands on them. So I looked at one of those, looked at the location of it. I looked at what the wind was doing that afternoon. And I thought, you know, I'm gonna take a climber. I'm gonna go in downwind. There was a place where I could park my vehicle, slip through kind of a marshy area that I would not like be likely to, you know, bust any deer out of of any bedding areas or get upwind of any deer or anything like that. Um, Come in downwind from this plot and get in a climber. So I said, you know, I'm gonna give that a shot. This plot has not been hunted at all. Um, took my climber in there, found a, a nice tree to climb about 30 yards downwind of the plot. There was an elm tree growing right next to a pine. And so I could get up in the pine and the elm tree gave me some good cover. Uh, so I was good and hidden. I was downwind of the food plot. And I got up in there thought, okay, I'm going to kill my doe. And 15 minutes before dark, I look up and there's a deer in the plot. And I realized immediately looking at it that it was a buck. But the first thing that jumped out to me, honestly, was these enormous dark black tarsal glands. I mean, it was like, uh, it just was the first thing that popped. His his tarsals were so darkly stained. And I uh, got the binoculars on him and immediately realized I was looking at a, a very mature buck. So, yeah, I killed him. And... um he he ended up aging some minimum age, six and a half years old. Wow. He was pretty worn down from the rut. Those tarsals were really stained black. He was actually missing an eye from oh. uh, having been fighting. Uh, he was scarred up, beat up, and you know, and was hungry. He was standing in that food plot eating post rut. So this this story really encapsulated every takeaway that I took from this study from Auburn. Um, which was, you know, a food plot that had not been hunted. So again, here's a plot, you know, if you can hunt them rarely or, or, or set them aside, do that. So here's a plot that had almost no pressure on it. Save a plot for the post-rut. Well, this was post-rut. Um, you know, hunt them in the evening. This was an evening hunt. Um, and even the, the sort of natural pine takeaway, hunt these areas that are um, not necessarily not necessarily food plots and not necessarily heavy bedding cover but sort of in-betweens that's what this buck came out of so this plot was surrounded by that type of cover um so yeah it just really that whole hunt was a perfect example of um this study so it kind of said to me look you know if you can we can't all afford to do this but if you can plant some small food plots and plan not to hunt them until late in the season, you know, set them aside and say, Hey, this will be my post rut, uh, uh, stand to try to catch a, an adult buck trying to recover and and feed up before winter. After the ruts over, we're not going to pressure it. We're going to leave pressure light intentionally or, or, you know, no pressure at all on that plot and save it until the time's right. You know, you plant you something in it like brassicas that will remain, you know, hardy and productive, uh, despite, you know, late season, cold weather. And, uh, let the deer eat it, let the deer use that plot with no pressure. Don't bother them. And, uh, you're talking about a site where in the post rut, um, it's a, you have a very good chance of doing what I did, which is encountering a mature buck coming to eat, you know, in that food plot.
0: Yeah. And it's kind of cool because I didn't think about it in the terms of food plots and, and your article, but, um, when I used to, th- when I think about nocturnal bucks, you know, you heard that, that term. How do you kill a nocturnal buck, right? Well, I always looked at it, whether it was a food plot or just a food source, is, you know, if, if let's just say there is a, a food source of some sort 100 yards away from where a buck is bedding, a nocturnal buck, quote unquote, is bedding. And it takes that buck, once he gets up out of his bed, 30 minutes to get to that food source. However long it's taken him to get from the hundred yards he was laying down to at that food source. And if he gets up 10 minutes before dark or 10 minutes before last legal shooting, like let's say, you are never going to see that buck in that food source, whether that's a food plot or just food before dark. So you're going to think he's nocturnal. Well, I always thought, well, I should hunt him in between those two things. I don't want to be right in his bed because I'm going to bump him out. But if I can get right off of his bed, figure out where I can be to be right off of his bed and get him to come out of that bed towards what I am hoping he's going to, I can kill him in that first 10 minutes that he got up. You think he's nocturnal, but all it takes is him getting up a few minutes before last legal light or whatever you want to call it uh, to be able to make that happen. And when I was reading your article, that's what sh- that kind of jumped out to me is you're not saying hunt, not hunt the plot. You could actually still be hunting your plot, just not right on top of the plot. You might just be 30 yards out or 60 yards back or 80 yards back catching them coming towards it. And if you're just on the plot in that tower stand, you might be throwing your hands up all year long going, they don't ever come out before dark. Well, they're there 30 minutes after you leave. It's just not, you know, where you need them. So you're still hunting that food plot in a sense, right? You're still hunting it. You're just hunting it a different way than your kind of, our brains have been kind of trained to hunt a food plot, which is just like you said, tower blind, two man stand blind, uh, blind on the ground, nice redneck or whatever. And that's just what you've done you're still hunting your plot. You're just, you're kind of doing it in a different way. That's the way I kind of, that's the takeaway I had from your article is when I was thinking about nocturnal bucks, it just kind of hit me the same way as that article did.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're, um, you're hunting food plots in a more stealthy way. You know, you're just trying to be more careful about it. You're not getting right up there in it. I think we have, uh, an instinct that, we want to be able to see the entire plot. And you know, I've got to get where I can see the whole plot. If a deer could be standing in that plot without me seeing it in this corner over here, that's not good. I gotta be able to see the whole thing. Um and that that is what messes this whole thing up many times because to be that close, you gotta you walk right up to it. You gotta, you know, be your scent and everything else, be right there in the plot. So being able to back off uh, maybe not see the entire plot, maybe even not see the majority of it, but be able to cover the, the routes that deer use to get there. And you know, This is just ways to ensure your hunting food plots more stealthy when you do hunt them. Yeah. I'd... Because one thing's for sure out of this, this research and many other studies, deer know how to pattern us y'all. Um, we can pattern deer, but you know what? They pattern us too. If they are prey animals and they're good at that. They, they know how to pattern danger um, and you are danger. And if you allow them to pattern you, if you give them a pattern to detect, they're gonna detect it, they're gonna bust you. They're gonna know where you go most often and they're gonna know where you don't go. And so understanding that, you know, no matter what type of stand you're talking about um, is how you can prevent them from patterning you and see them more often. Go to the places where you don't normally go. You know, Look at your own patterns and go, you know, if I was hunting me uh, or trying to avoid me, um where would i want to be and that's often where you'll find the deer the gym
0: you know what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's where i would not be but yeah and it makes a like i said it makes a lot of sense um because in general deer are pretty good at not dying so they're pretty good at being prey (laughs) for the most part you know if they were bad at it they they wouldn't be here anymore so uh, that's right makes sense Uh, well, that's, I mean, like I said, those takeaways I had from the article were really good. Um, I really enjoyed the read and, you know, made me think, and also I proved to myself I can still read. So that's cool. But, um, uh, what else you got, Lindsay? I mean, you know, that, that's the article pretty much. Um, we kind of went through the article in the podcast form. Um, I still would really encourage folks to read, uh, the article as well. We will link that in the show, and we will link the National Deer Association as well. But what else do you have? Is there anything else you wanted to kind of touch on before we uh, end this one?
2: No, I think just to wrap up, to remember that, you know, as far as this story goes, we're not saying don't hunt food plots. Um, And we're not saying that you can't kill good deer in food plots. You can. Um, But you got to do it smart. So... um no that's really it you know i hope that uh, everybody has a good season hope y'all do too Uh, i'm looking forward to gun season coming in here soon in in georgia we got to get some rain on our plots Uh, oh i
1: think everybody does yeah i think we're pretty dry pretty dry ourselves i don't know about y'all
2: we had a lot of rain through the summer and then it just dried up you know at the wrong time we had a lot of
0: rain through the spring and then the summer just kaput just as dry dry as heck up here but, um, well, before we hop this off on this, why don't you give everybody a quick rundown of uh, how they can get a, a hold of or in touch with National Deer Association and uh, help support the, the cause as well?
2: Yeah, we're a nonprofit organization. Uh, our mission is to ensure the future of wild deer, wildlife habitat, and hunting. And uh, you can look at our mission work and, and see what we do. We work on hunter recruitment. Uh, We work on uh, fighting deer diseases and and other concerns for population health. Uh, We work on educating deer hunters uh, and we work in policy arenas uh, to ensure that um, laws, regulations, and and other things that affect deer are done right and done well and done with the best interests of deer in mind. So, you know, we're an organization any deer hunter can get behind. It's deerassociation.com is the website. And we're on all the social media out there at deer association, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, even TikTok now. So oh, dang. So <laughs> <your> association. <laughs> yeah, we've made the plunge there.
0: If you're on TikTok, so, um, you need to go get a Go Wild account as well. Yeah, go check out <laughs> Go Wild. They're, yep. they're the only uh, social media that actually wants us there anyways. Right.
2: So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's where you can find us. Uh, we, we do a free newsletter every week, comes out every Thursday morning, that shares a lot of our, our educational content. And our mission work, you can go to our website and sign up for that. So I'd urge your listeners to sign up. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And you can begin to learn a little bit more about us. And uh, I think you'll see that it's something uh, you can get behind and support. We're a four-star charity by uh, rated by Charity Navigator, which is an independent group uh, that basically tells you that your money you give us is being spent wisely, efficiently, and spent on what we said we're going to spend it on. Um, that's the highest rating you can get. So check us out. Government and doesn't have that gear, radio. Gear gear. Will find <laughs> it. I doubt it.
0: They're not a nonprofit either. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, yeah, Lindsay,
2: Thanks for the chance to share that. Yeah, yeah we yeah. really
0: appreciate uh, you coming on and talking about that article. And, and uh, you know, we, we hope that helps out some of our listeners over the next few weeks before this rut ramps up uh, in the towards the end of October, early, early part of November. And um, give them some good information even after the rut's over. Maybe they can uh, go kill something later so yeah lindsey thomas jr with the national deer association we really appreciate
2: your time tonight nate mike i enjoyed it as always it's good to talk to you guys again you too man thank you sir see ya
1: thank you lindsey for joining us he wouldn't be joining us thank you for dropping some knowledge on us again you know we really appreciate your time uh coming on the show yeah it was it was really good i I, I don't know. Really,
0: it really made me think. I guess
1: right is what I'm trying to say. Well, it really, really made me think because I am one that hunts over food plots. So you, not necessarily, you That's, don't really have yes, one. You don't have one. Yeah, but uh, I do
0: have a plot in one spot, but it's just part of more fields, really. So it's yeah, not, it, no, I don't even consider that really a plot. Right. Oh, I guess I know what you're talking about. But, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, but he gave us a lot of stuff to
0: think about. And uh, we just really appreciate uh, Lindsay coming on. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. And like I said, it really made me think. It made me think about what am I, you know, what might I do differently? And you don't even have to look at it as food plots. Just look at it as food sources. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have a a plot, but deer are using a field of beans to eat, isn't that your plot? Same damn thing. It's their food. But if it's a destination plot. It's where they're headed to in the evening or whatever. Right. Then, you know, that's when you just when you think about this, you have to you have to think about being colorblind. Right. Right. And on you know, actually I just found out I'm colorblind. Really? Yeah. The news came out of the purple. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That was good. I did that. That well just done. that just happened. Well done. That just happened. Andy, I'm coming for your freaking job, man. <laughs> Well, nobody's sitting there, so I think you can have it. Oh. I could have been doing this all along. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I hope you don't. But screw, screw you. <laughs> it
1: is what it is. So. Uh, all right, uh, I'm done. How yeah, about you. Uh, I'm ready to get out of here. All so right. uh, we got a cold front coming in, people. So, well, this is our. It's already passed. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully somebody hope got, you got something. your asses out there last week. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully you guys killed something. So.
0: I'm hoping we do too. Share those kills. Share those those deer, the 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 does, the bucks, whatever. Tag us in those pictures.
1: Yeah, and actually, I'm going to put a feeler out there. If uh, we're looking for a cool story, what are you going to do? Put a feeler, put a feeler out there. Okay. We're looking for a cool story. If you got like a uh, good success story that you would like to share, uh, maybe DM us. We might have you on. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Why'd you wink at me, though? (laughs) I didn't wink. You you did something weird. Made me feel uncomfortable. That's all I know. (laughs) All right. Well, now you can leave. Yeah. All right. Later. See you.